0: Standing ovation for Bo Horvat, his first game as an Islander.
1: You got to admit that's kind of awesome. Uh, yesterday, we find out they are chanting Bo, or rather chanting Horvat, at uh, UBS Arena as Bo Horvat scores his first goal as a member of the New York Islanders. Uh, is also named the first star of the game. The Islanders beat the Seattle Kraken four nothing. Ilya Sorokin with, ho uh, oh, hum, just another shadow. Just put it over there. Just put it over there. It's what I do. This is really impressive so far. I know it's only two games in for Horvat, but this is impressive. Already, the you know, Islanders fans have fallen in love with the former captain of the Vancouver Canucks. The Islanders are 2-0 with Horvat in the lineup, winners of four in a row total. And, you know, the NHL, or the Islanders rather, have played... The most games in the NHL of any team with 54, okay? They're tops. They've played 54 games so far this season. So the math for them to get into a playoff spot, how shall I say it? It's not pretty, but it's not ugly. It is doable. You know, we wonder about the Buffalo Sabres knocking some billiard balls around here. We also not—we wonder about the New York Islanders where once upon a time we wrote them off, but there seems to be a rejuvenation with uh, the addition of Bo Horvat. And I think we're going to wonder next what Lou Lam- Lamarillo does. I would have to imagine, even though he doesn't have much by way of you know, draft capital to play with or prospect capital to play with, I would imagine he'd be looking at doing something on the wing. And let's face it, this is a team that has a lot of centers now. That's a good thing. As I mentioned on the program, I think it was yesterday, no one ever got in trouble for having too many centers. No one has ever said, you know, you know where we really messed up? We just had too many centers in this lineup. I assure you nobody's ever said that. The Islanders, I don't think they're done. You know, we're going to welcome Elliot to the show here again here in a couple of moments. And He writes about this at his latest blog at sportsnet.ca. You know, it sounds like Lou's going to take about five, six, seven games now and figure out what the Islanders need. To me, a lot of the arrows are pointing at the wing. This would be a great story. The Sabres would be a great story, and the Islanders would be a great story, and making it even better for the Islanders. Brand new building. It's off playoff excitement there. In the spirit of being happy for players as well, really happy for Jack Campbell. Uh, the Oilers win. Uh, they beat the Detroit Red Wings 5-2. to two. Uh, Eight wins in a row in his last eight starts for Jack Campbell, and the, the Edmonton Oilers continue to roll happy for a lot of players on that team specifically jack campbell we know it didn't start very well this season for the netminder. also we'll talk about uh, marty walsh today so marty walsh the players association have their man last night he was the designated survivor at the uh, state of the union addressed by u.s president joe biden and i think what we're wondering about now is what does this tell us about what type of union the National Hockey League Players Association is going to be. So Walsh has a strong labor background. So maybe your default right away is, oh, it's going to be an adversarial relationship. They brought in the uh, they brought in a boxer here because they want uh, they want to they're choosing confrontation over conversation. You know, Donald Fehr was an executive director who kind of went out of his way not to fight. With the NHL, there was always a belief, and he was always of the belief that, you know, a lot of the new money was to be found in international hockey, and he kind of sought growth and partnership as opposed to confrontation, which more of a maybe traditional person with a labor background might be seeking. Uh, And I think we wonder, you know, does anything change now with the National Hockey League Players Association? We're not going to know until he takes over and gets familiar with things and starts to swim in the PA waters and starts to actually affect change. But I think what's remarkable here is for the first time in the history of the NHL Players Association leadership, it's kind of smooth. Like this transition, like there's, there's no volcanoes going off. There's no torches at the castle gate, send out the monster. There's none of that. And that's always the way that it's been with the Players Association. Like if you go back to the early days, the genesis of the Players Association, Alan Eagleson. So Eagleson stole from the players. He ended his tenure in disgrace and disbarment and prison. Um, Bob Goodnow was uh, someone that ruled with an, an iron fist Um, he fought for the players, and we all remember how him and Ian Pulver would structure free agency. There was a a, a way that it was all laid out. This person was going to sign first for this money, and that meant that this person was going to get that money, and it was like dominoes. It it really was art. (laughs) It really was off-season free agency art, the way that uh, Goodnow and Pulver had it all laid out. But he fought for the players. He fought with the league, and then ultimately in the 0405 lockout he was betrayed from within now that gave way to Ted Saskin who conceded on the salary cap and that's where a lot of the players woes really began the effects of which are still being felt by the players now hello escrow Saskin took over leadership only to fall prey to paranoia and distrust and you know helped quarterback this idea and plan Um, to hack into nhl players emails you know how well that went and that led to paul kelly who was hired and then fell victim to a palace coup about two years later he was dismissed which gave him way to the 2010 hiring of donald fear which has now brought us to the position that we're at now what happens with the players association what type of a players association will this be will this one be one that seeks growth will this one that seeks confrontation We don't know. All we have at this point are questions. And we'll begin our conversation with Elliot Friedman about Marty Walsh. Let's get the show started. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, it really is remarkable that the transition is kind of quiet and there's no fires and there's no... There's no chaos surrounding this one. This is unfamiliar territory. Uh, Molly Walker coming up at the bottom of the hour from the New York Post. We'll talk about the New York Rangers. Uh, in the meantime, uh, from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts, the podcast and the blog, he is Elliot Friedman, and he joins me now. Hello, Frege. Hi, i Eric. How are you? Good. You know what I really want to be in life? What's up? The designated survivor so that no matter what happens around me, I'm the one designated to survive and endure through all of it because that's what Marty Walsh was yesterday at uh, President Biden's State of the Union Address. And Marty Walsh is on the horizon of being voted in as the Executive Director of the Players Association. And yesterday, I couldn't help thinking what a nice luxury it is to be the designated survivor because, as you know, around PA circles... There have been some that have had some length, not too many of those. Happen, yeah. but 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 not too many are the designated survive. Like, I was saying this off the top. Like I'm used to the NHL Players Association naming a new executive director, and there's a bunch of peasants and pitchforks and torches and you know send out the monster and rah rah rah. Like, but it's not happening this way for each.
0: Well, there's a couple of things here. Uh, number one, you do look a little bit like Hugh Fraser. The Netflix show was recommended to me last night. Very good. I, I kind of did wonder if uh, if Marty Walsh became the designated survivor because they knew he was leaving. Oh, you're not staying? Okay, could you be. can sit in a locked room somewhere where nobody could find you. It's like almost like you're banished. Okay, you're being sent to your room. You're not going to be a part of this. See you later. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think the one the, the thing is, it, it's pretty clear that in the um, Uh, There's two things that have been really clear to me is that number one is that the selection committee of players, the, uh, I think six or seven of them, they're pretty excited about this hire. Like they conveyed a lot of excitement uh, to the other players and the other players have bought in because of that excitement. That's number one. And number two, I think there is some disagreement, uh, Jeff, uh, with, with how, like, I think if there's any disagreement, it's that, They did such a good job of holding, of keeping the name quiet, that when it got out, like, okay, everybody starts to say, okay, what do I need to know here? And there really wasn't a lot of time, because they wanted to push it through and get it done. There really wasn't a lot of time to express any disappointment. And I think that's actually one of the concerns here, is that, okay, you've got this name, you're very excited about it, but... Now there's some questions about some of the due diligence and, and it's, are we doing this too fast? But I think for the most part, the message I get is this is the player's choice. We have to back it because if we don't back it, we're going to get crushed. Like I, I listened to a little bit of your sermonette at the top there, and you're talking <laughs> about times where um, the players association was fractured and divided. And they got clobbered because of that, so I think people yeah. who 've lived through that they understand it, and they say, no matter what we think privately, publicly, we have to put out a united front
1: at the same time um, and I, I understand that, and historically, when you reach back into the history of the players association, you know there was uh, and you know the obvious touch point is the 0-4-0-5 lockout where there was um, a situation where the players were all united, at least temporarily, but then mm-hmm. the fractures began. And I don't necessarily know that it was from player to player, it was mm-hmm. more agent to agent. Like it turned into, mm-hmm. you know, Rich Winter versus Newport Sports. Like it, a, lot of it, a lot of it was, was driven by, by the agents here.
0: I, I, I don't, I agree with that on some level, but I disagree with that on other levels. Like, I think Bob Good did a lot of good things for the players. But I think he made a strategic mistake going into that situation. He basically told the players that if they wanted to, quote-unquote, win the lockout, they would have to sit out for two years. Well, I think at the Correct. beginning, maybe some people will buy into that. But, Jeff, you, you've got to realize that's not going to work.
1: You Hang on cannot, one second. Freeze, pause pause. Yeah. Pause on that for one second. You know what Bob yeah. now in that situation was guilty of? Believing the players. Because yes. they all said, one year, no problem. And Bob said, it might take two years. And they still said, mm. yes, we're going to do this. We're going to do this.
0: Uh, you know, here's, here's why I, I'll, I'll disagree with that. I, I think that. I think that there's a lot of things. in. Li- I think that's proof of something that happens a lot of life in life. People talk a big game, but when reality sets in and you realize what the reality of a situation is, you sit there and you say, you can't really expect to do that. Like, just imagine, Jeff, if I said to you, okay, knowing your situation, you've got, you're, you've got a beautiful family and everything, and I say to you, Jeff, in order for you to get what you want here, you have to be prepared to collect no salary for two years. Okay? Could you do that?
1: Mm-hmm. Could Depends you do that? if what I was going to, it, it would depend on if what I was going to gain would compensate for missing two years worth of salary.
0: Okay, but in that situation, how, what percentage of players do you think are going to gain for, for that?
1: Oh, listen. I, I agree with you on that one. But listen, the only yeah. thing that he was guilty. Of, like right, I think that strategy. And, and but but the thing is, like if 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 Goodnow would have said, "Hang on a second, I don't believe. Think about it the other way. If Goodnow would have said, "I can't believe here we are re, relitigating the 0405 lockout," but here we go. If Goodnow would have said to the players, "I don't believe that you're ready for this fight. Let's just concede on the salary cap now and get the best possible deal we can." Then it probably would have been curtains for good. Now, before and Ted Saskin would have been the one that you know. Well, he ended up helping to write the CBA, but he would have written it from the beginning with with Gary Batman.
0: Well, no, I, I think what I, I think what this is the case. I think in a lot of cases like this, people are willing to fight, right? I have no doubt that those mm-hmm. players went into that situation willing to fight because they won all the time, right? Like they just they oh, yeah. like it, it like. ever since he got in there, they had been making games and they had been making big games from 1992 on. Remember in 98, uh, or before 98, Bettman extended the CBA because he wanted to get to the Olympics without a work stoppage, right? So they had been winning and winning and winning, okay? So I understand why they went into that and say, look, we're winning. Let's keep going. But you reach a point where you realize that uh-oh, like the shoes on the other foot here. The opponent has a goal in mind, and the opponent is not backing down from that goal. And it's it's like a game. Like last night, like the other night, team A plays team B, team A wins the game 8 to nothing. Does that have any relevance on the next game? Not necessarily. Just because you won your last game 8 to nothing doesn't mean you're going to win your next game. You better show up to play. And I just think in that particular case, I I think that, again, I think the players went in. They'd been winning. They felt they could win again. But you've got to know when you realize this time your opponent is in and they're going to outweigh you. And I think that was the thing. I think that in the middle, the players realized they weren't going to win that one. And that's where everything changed.
1: Uh, Okay, so this does wink at this idea of, or the question of, what type of players' association do we expect this to be now? Is it going to be one that chooses conversation or confrontation? You know, Mm -hmm. at various times, the players' association has had leaders that have chosen one or the other. Um, you know, I just got another note from someone this morning who said, you know, shouldn't it be an automatic disqualifier that someone, you know, who's, who's considered for the executive director role has a personal relationship, uh, with someone in ownership on the NHL side. Like there is that vibe that's out there. Um, I do wonder, I think we all do. What, what is this type of players association going to be now? Sometimes it's a pendulum, right? Someone who you know wants to fight, someone that wants to get along, and it kind of swings back and forth, and it's always been said you know you get the union you deserve. do you have any yeah. any, any idea what type of union this might be under Marty Walsh Well, I just think
0: that I, I, we've talked about this a couple of times and i and I believe it because uh, i I think what they want is firm a like guy I, I have a saying I like to use to people when they're going to negotiate and i always say polite but firm like you can have a good relationship with the person you're talking to as long and you can make deals with the person you're talking to as long as you're firm in your beliefs and if you get pushed around you have to be prepared to push back and i think that's what we're talking about here i don't believe the players association is looking for a fight But I do believe, I believe they want to make deals that keep us going without work stoppages. But I think they also recognize who they're going up against, and they better be prepared for a fight if it's brought to them. I think that's what they want. Now, there are going to be some big battles here. There's going to be big battles over, you and I have talked about this, the league won a big concession on medical care in the last CBA. I think the players want to have a run at that. There's always going to be a question. Is the league going to talk about contract length? Is the league going to talk about the definition of HRR? I don't know the answer to these questions, but you have to be prepared for it. I think they want a player's uh, association. I know they've talked about, can they do a better job of raising their money on their own? Like, I think it's about, We don't want to fight, but we will be prepared for it if it comes. I think the other thing that happened here, Jeff, and I wrote this this last night this morning, is nobody on the selection committee was under 30. Like the two youngest members of the selection committee are Justin Falk and Zach Hyman. Both those guys are 30 years old. That like uh, Someone made a good point to me. He said, that's a bit of a red flag. Where are your young players? Like, what are they thinking about all of this? Because, like, the the odds are that those players are going to be out of the league or close to it towards the ends of their careers when the next CBA comes up in a couple years. So where are your young players, particularly the Stars? Where, Like, how do they feel about all of this? I think that's a big question
1: well i I think it's always been that way, and I think that that's probably why like listen there are a lot of this and this happens in lockouts and has always happened in in lockouts and hockey where the players that get thrown to the wolves first are the ones that aren't in the players association yet Those yeah. are the ones that come in as rookies, and that's why they're double salary capped you know there's the there's the uh the the the, the salary cap, and then there's the rookie salary cap as well. And they're capped at length within an original framework of a a length on cap as well. Like, they're always the ones that get thrown to the wolves. And I've heard it from veteran players before. Like, why am I going to sacrifice for players that aren't even in the league yet? No thanks. Let them take their lumps. You know, one of the things, and you wrote about this too, and I I thought about what the Players Association response to this would be when I read your blog this morning, and that is the Philadelphia Flyers. And that is, and you write about you know it's been an eventful week for the Flyers. We talked about the John Tortorella note on the show yesterday, and also the Philadelphia Flyers who will credit three games in April uh, to mm-hmm. ticket holders. They can uh, they can they can push those to next season. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm the new executive director question. of the Players Association. Do I not look at that and say, wait a minute here? That's an HRR issue. We're giving mm-hmm. a, we're giving away money. Hold on a second here. That's our skin in the game too. That's not just the Philadelphia Flyers.
0: You know, that's a good question. I, I don't have a good answer for you, Jeff, but that's that's a really good question. I, I don't know if there's much that the PA can do about ticket prices, uh, because there's supply and demand in a lot of cases. But it's a it's a great point you raise. Like I I gotta tell you something, like it, uh, I know over the years, the the PA at times has talked to the league about the number of afternoon games versus night games because afternoon games, there's less, like, concessions sold. And I, I remember once we did an exhibition game in Buffalo and there were no ads on the boards. And I remember saying on the air, I love the look of this. And I got a text message from someone in the Players Association saying, I don't love how much revenue was given up tonight. And so it's <laughs> it's 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 a good it's a good question, Merrick. I don't have a great answer for you, but I think it's interesting.
1: All right. So a couple of things that you write about as well. Um yesterday you mentioned you were gonna write about Dylan Larkin and you did, and here's maybe how naive I've been about the Dylan Larkin Bo Horvat situation. I thought mm-hmm. it was just gonna be a matter of one of the players signing and the other going to his general manager through his agent and saying, okay, that's my comparable, I'll take that contract. It's not Mm -hmm. that easy for Larkin, is it?
0: It, it, Well, it is. I I, I just think that, um, you know, it's funny. I got a call this morning because I mentioned in, uh, like, if you remember, Stamco signed in Tampa for eight and a half, and then they got Hedman to sign for one of the all-time great contracts for team value. Oh, I think it's 7.875. And then the next year, two months before Eisenman resigned, they got Kucherov at 9.5. And I remember thinking, yep. that's a guy who pushed them. Like, that's, that's a guy who pushed Eisenman and said, uh, if you want, you're giving me the premium. I, I want the premium. You're going to give it to me. And this morning, I got a call from someone, and they said, Kucherov pushed Eiserman by half a million dollars. So that's what he believed the number was. That's how much he got Eiserman to move. And uh, so that's kind of what I've got in my head. Like, um, like, I, th- like I said, I-, I think Larkin wants to stay. I think the number is going to start with an eight. We'll see how much he could, like, what What it says to me is that, and again, this is purely my opinion. Um, like I, I I agree with you. I think the market is very similar for both players. I just think that Larkin wanted to go over that number and, or, or the, or the red wings were below that number. And now we've just like, I think it's going to start with an eight when this is all over. I think it's going to start with an eight, but like I said, I heard that Kucherov was able to push. That's what someone told me this morning. Kucherov was able to push about half a million dollars. And that's how far they could get from where Eisman
1: wanted to go. Uh, okay, a couple of things. Uh, mentioned Horvat a second ago, and they're chanting his name at UBS Arena last night. That's another yeah. big win for the Islanders. Uh, yeah. No one's played more games in the NHL than the Islanders at 54. He scores a goal. He's yep. first star. They're chanting Horvat. It's just like a, a, a delightful night for... for Bo- like it's It started out great. Game one, he didn't mm-hmm. score... But the Islanders scored a power play goal, and they won. Game two, they shut out. The Seattle Kraken It uh, was a really tough out. Ilya Sorokin with yet another shutout. Just put it over there in that stack of shutouts that I'm piling up here in my career. <laughs> but it, it's turning into, and you, you write about this with, with Lou Lamarello and, you know, what's next. It's turning into this great story already inside of two <laughs> games. Can the Islanders do it? We're asking about the Sabres. Can the Sabres knock someone out of the box and sneak into the playoffs? Again, math not pretty but not ugly. Your thoughts on the, the, the two game audit of Bo Horvat as a New York Islander?
0: Well, I, I think that <laughs> it's an early honeymoon. That's what you want. That's the you know, that's the best thing about it is that Everybody, like, there were Islanders fans who were so excited that it happened, and now they're kind of seeing it unfold right in front of them, and they're ecstatic. I mean, like, see, like, uh, like seeing those two guys combine in that goal. You're sitting there and saying, "Oh, oh my God, we're going to see this for <laughs> the next eight years. This is awesome." <laughs> so, uh, like, but you're right. I, I don't like the math. I, I am really curious to see what Lamarello does because someone said to me, I mean. And God only knows, because he's not telling me. But someone said to me, i say he is not done. But he's just going to wait to see. Well, I say he's not necessarily done. He's going to wait to see how it goes over the next few games. I'll tell you the team I'm really looking at after last night is, is Nash Vegas. Um, like, they, they had a really ugly game. What did they have? Seven shots through two periods, Jeff?
1: Yeah, it was um, and, it was bad. And, early. It was it was bad from the get go last night for, for Nashville. Yeah, and, and David Poyle, he does a weekly radio interview every
0: Tuesday in, in Nashville, and he basically said, "I want to see what happens between now and the deadline. Don't have anything pressing." Um, you know, I, 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 that's not good. That's really not a good sign. That that game last night was a really bad sign. Vegas has been reeling. And the other thing is too is if you look at it, he's quietly doing some business. He got he got Cole Smith done. He just got Tommy Novak done today. Like when, when a GM is doing that before the deadline, these are small deals. One was I think 775, and one was 800. When you've got a GM doing that right before the deadline, that just says he's up to yeah. something to me.
1: Um, creating a safety net uh, around the team should yeah. we decide to, to do things. Yeah. Um, Oh, I wanted to ask you about, you know, this, this happened while the show was on yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we talked to Lance Lesowski about it from, from the Buffalo news, Dylan Cousins re-signs with the Buffalo Sabres. Like this is consistent with how Kevin Adams behaves, identify and sign for as long as you can. Uh, we yep. see it with Tage Thompson, obviously money's almost identical by the way, for Dylan Cousins. Uh, we saw yep. it with Matias Samuelson. I would expect that he would do the same with Rasmus Dalin when he gets mm-hmm. the chance to say nothing of maybe Lukanen, uh, when when that one comes up, your thoughts on the Dylan Cousins seven-year contract extension, AAV of
0: 7.1. Well, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good deal. You know my philosophy. If you have a cornerstone player, you believe in a cornerstone player, you sign them for as long as you can because the number's not going down. If you look at it, they've got their two top centers now, Thompson and Cousins, signed for $14 million in the next seven years. <laughs> you know, that's going to rank pretty well in In this NHL, and uh, I, I think it's a good bet for them, and, and as you said, look, they did it with Samuelson, uh, they did it with Tage Thompson um, and and you know who you know who's next? It's going to be Dahleen. He's coming up on year three. Yeah. they're going to have to do him. and I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with power, like they've got a couple of years, the cap's going to go up. I have no doubt they're going to go it and the other thing I want to say too about power. I don't think he's getting enough Rookie of the Year buzz, Jeff. Like, I'm looking at him, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that might be my guy. I don't think he – and so – Really, like, eh? You know the – yeah? Now, the thing about that is, for me, is that, like, I, I think long-term, Owen Power is going to be the number one rookie in this class. I do. I I just think he's going to be, and that's not a shot any of these other guys who are really good players. I I just think yeah. that power is the guy. Now, the, the thing is, the 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 award is the rookie of the year this year, and sometimes the best rookie, the guy who turns out to be the best rookie of this class, doesn't have the best rookie season, and that's 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 sometimes an issue in voting. But I, I look at all these guys, and and I think, is Power going to be the best one of all of them?
1: Well, let me throw another name out at you. Then while we're talking about, you know, we're talking about rookies that are getting a little bit overlooked here. I don't know that he'll have the amount of games necessary. But look at the effect that Lukanen's had on this team. Oh I know yeah. we're all crazy about Logan Thompson. He's been really and Logan good. Thompson in Vegas. Or Kachetkov with Carolina, but Uka Pekaleukinen's done a marvelous job here. Coming in, like when you know when there was the uh, the, the the injury um, earlier this season, and it was like what two or two or three weeks that Eric Comrie went down, and Lukanen came up and was splitting with Craig Anderson. Lukanen got the tough starts, and he was great, and he really held the Buffalo Sabres. And if they have this, if the Buffalo Sabres make it in. I think we're going to look at that. Like if the Buffalo Sabres make it to the playoffs, Elliot. I think we look at that segment of the schedule where Eric Comrie got hurt, and we all know about whether you want to call it, load management or whatever uh, how they're using Craig Anderson. Luke yeah. kind of came in and saved the season. All respect to Tim uh, yeah, Thomas, Alex Stock, all of it. But man, what a job Lukanen did! I think we'll point to that and yeah. say that kept their heads above water. He did a, a miraculous job. So when we're talking about players that need more consideration for the Calder Trophy, I'll throw Lucanen in, in there as well. Again, I don't know if he's going to have the games, but I think he should at least be part of the conversation.
0: Well, you know, that's just so typical of you. I throw a name out there, you just have to one up me.
1: Got a big dog, you man. Just got a big dog, you <laughs> Um Okay, listen, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Uh, news hunting and news chasing and uh, tweet breaking news, and we'll check you out tomorrow.
0: Alright, buddy. Speak to, you, speak to you later, buddy.
1: All right, there he is, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. It's always interesting when I sign off with Elliot because I think it's the same way with him because we do so many different things together here. It's like, okay, is it podcast day or is it interview day? Like when is it Saturday for hockey night? We never really know when we're gonna see each other uh, again, my work spouse and I, but generally it's sooner than later. So it could be talk to you tomorrow. It could be talk to you in two hours. Welcome to my my work spouse, Elliot Friedman.